All right, turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to continue the series we've been on biblical spiritual warfare. We're in part three this morning. And uh, I've had a couple good conversations about it the last couple weeks. Talking about the, the, the book of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, being a template for spiritual warfare as it relates to spe- especially uh, the issue of Jezebel before in because in the city of uh, Ephesus, they had a wonder of the world. It was the temple of Diana. And that is a manifestation of that spirit, that Jezebel, that spirit of Jezebel. And uh, Paul, literally, through his gospel proclamations and intercessions, uh, many historians credit him with single-handedly bringing that stronghold, bringing that principality down and seeing the cult of Diana destroyed in uh, the length of one generation. And so we found out that the book of Ephesians, it is a, it's a guidebook for spiritual warfare. And so uh, to, uh, today what I want to do is I want to just give some thoughts on dealing with principalities and dealing with demons in general. And I think that, uh, you know, we kind of we mystify, we m- mysticalize this concept of, um, you know, demons and angels. And I think that far too many of us are afraid of the devil. And, uh, you know, we're not to be afraid of the devil. I think, I think we can understand that he is a, a foe that has power and that we don't, we don't underestimate that. But uh, I think in the body of Christ, there's, there's sort of two uh, vantage points. One group is completely scared of the devil, just freaked out by anything, devil, demon, scary mask, whatever. Anything that looks like devils, they're, they're freaked out by it, scared. And then the other group totally acts like uh, the devil's no problem. And, they, and um, I think there's a ditch there as well. I think there's a, a um, more biblical thing where we don't underestimate uh, Satan's power. We, we, we recognize he is a a worthy foe, and that many have fallen to his schemes and his devices over the years. I mean, many, many, many nations have fallen to him. But by this, at, the, at the same time, the church has been given authority to uh, walk in the victory that Jesus has bought uh, on the cross. And so I want to um, just continue with our, our series on biblical spiritual warfare, and I want to just talk about the, the issue of dealing with the devil and dealing with demons. You know, um, one thought on the front end. You say, well, if we've got the victory over the devil, how come the devil's able to, you know, do things? If, if Jesus has already won the victory, how is it that, you know, the devil is able to even do anything in the lives of believers in the world, if he's already been defeated, how is it possible that he could do anything to perpetuate his kingdom? Well, it's kind of like this. And I've heard, I've heard this example given, and I think it's a, it's a good one. In World War II, on a, at, the, at the Normandy invasion, D-Day, when the Allies came in and stormed uh, uh, Europe, that, that day was a decisive uh, victory for the Allies, and it marked the defeat of the Axis powers, and specifically Nazi Germany. For uh, for America and and the Allied forces to be now in occupation of Europe, essentially just marked this that the time was short for the Axis powers to be able to contain uh, to maintain control. So the decisive victory of the war was was run won there on D Day. But it was several years in walking out that victory that final, finally saw the surrender of uh, Nazi Germany and the, the complete um, ending of the war. Well, I think that's an excellent, um, uh, it's not perfect, but it's an excellent um, example or, or picture of what the cross purchased. The cross purchased a definitive victory over the powers of the kingdom of darkness. Now we walk out that victory until the final and complete destruction of the kingdom of darkness. Does that make sense? And so we walk in the the power of the victory of the cross 
right now. That's what we're walking. We're walking out that, that invasion of Jesus. When he invaded the, the hosts of darkness and won for us the victory, we're walking that out. That doesn't mean that there's not still battles. That doesn't mean that there's not still challenges. There are. But we walk those out until the complete destruction of Satan's kingdom and the overthrow of, of the uh, kingdom of darkness and the institution, the kingdom of God throughout all the earth. And that's the place that we're in. We're in the walking out of the victory season. So Ephesians 6, we've touched on it uh, the last couple of weeks. But in verse 12, let's just, now let's just drill down on this verse. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, I just want to emphasize, and I believe the more that believers will get their mind around that first phrase, the more effective we will be in seeing the kingdom of God manifest. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And Paul, what he's doing there, he's using this term wrestle, he's pulling it from the uh, Greek games where uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, that, that, that form of wrestling that has transcended through the ages where uh, two men would come together and they would wrestle in sport. Paul is pulling that uh, imagery and applying it here. I like Paul. He uses military analogies. He uses sports analogies. I imagine if he was living today, he'd be talking about football, praise the Lord. Back then, he was talking about wrestling. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He goes, you know those guys over there that participate in those games and those two guys and they'll be wrestling back and forth with each other? He goes, that's not us. We don't get another person and wrestle with them. Our warfare is against, and he gives us, I think, what he's doing is he's giving us four levels of demonic hierarchy. He goes, that's where our warfare uh, really is. And beloved, I just want to emphasize this to us. We love people. We love people. There was a, a lady there yesterday, and her and her friend, and the friend had a sign that said, stop preaching hate. And she had a, a really just not happy look on her face, just upset. And, uh, and the friend had, a, had a, a, a shirt that said, cuss word, Lou. So it was a derogatory comment right at Lou. Poor Lou. I felt bad for him. I thought, man, if that's me, I'm gonna, I'd be feeling bad if they'd be saying that about me on their T-shirts. I got T-shirts made. And I just saw him over there, and I thought, you know, I'm going to go say hi. It's going to go say hello because I'm not, my fight's not with them, nor with their t-shirt or their poster. I walked over there. I said, hey, I'm Billy. And the the lady, the poster just put her poster in my face. I go, yeah, I know. I I don't hate you. That's why I came over. I just just want to say hi. Let you know, I I love you. Hi, I'm Billy. She she wouldn't shake my hand. And and, uh, I said, I've been praying for you for the last three weeks. She goes, well, I'm not straight. (laughs) She goes, it didn't make me straight. I go, that's okay. I still love you. It's okay. And, uh, and I looked at her friend. I said, hi, I'm Billy. I just want to introduce myself. I go, what's your name? She goes, I'm Billy too. I went, now that would be a coincidence. You and I had the same name like that. That's funny. <laughs> That's what I said to her. So I just want to say, hey, just want you to know, that I, yeah, I don't hate you guys. I love you guys. And uh, she, she said some kind of crass things. And I said, hey, it's okay. I, anyway, bless you. Just wanted to say hi and let you know we don't hate you. We love you. And walk back over. But, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that we can do that I, I think it touches people because in 20 years they'll remember that little guy maybe or maybe not. They walked across the street and said hi. But you know what it does? I think it just snubs the devil because the devil would love for us to wrestle with people. He loves to manifest through people and then get us fighting with each other. Dumb idea. The issue is the demon spirit that fills men's minds 
with false ideologies that are against the knowledge of God, those are the ones that we are in a struggle with. Those are the ones that we are walking out the victory of the cross against. The demon spirits that affect ideologies, not people. And if somebody's held captive to a false ideology, you know what? I need to find in the heart of God the compassion of God to love that person. Because guess what? The Lord's ears are acquainted to the cries of the prisoners. And he's talking about, uh, it applies to people that are held bound, bondage, to spiritual uh, hosts of wickedness. And so I need to find that place of compassion. Yet, you know, sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes people act ugly. Sometimes we get emotional. We take things personal. Right, I understand that. We need to overcome that, get in the heart of God, find his compassionate heart towards people, and determine I'm not going to wrestle against a person. I'm going to engage against the four levels of demons that, that Paul's, Paul's identifying here. So he gives them to us. The four levels, I believe, he gives, them, gives us to them because they're in hierarchy order. And uh, he says they're principalities, they're powers, they're rulers of the darkness of this age, and they're spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so principalities, that word shows up in the, in the New King James seven times. It, it doesn't show up at all in the, in the New American Standard. The New American Standard simply calls them rulers. Rulers, demonic rulers. These are I believe, regional rulers that have authority in regions. I think you see an example of these in Daniel 10. When the, the prince of Persia, who uh, the, the angel had to do warfare with, and Michael came and assisted, that prince, he's a principality. He's a ruler over the region. And then it goes down, and it says, powers. And I would think that would be the next level under the regional guy that's got maybe multiple countries. There's a guy that has... a, a, a demon power over more localized areas. Perhaps he's, you know, it's just by country or, or by city. And so these are powers, and the, the New American Standard calls them authorities. So it's principalities and powers, or rulers and authorities. And then it's rulers of darkness. And what I think is interesting is, if you're looking at the New American Standard, which I, I like that version, I think the New American Standard differentiates the, the bottom two uh, demon powers. And he says, one is a ruler of darkness of this world, and one is a ruler of wickedness that's in the spirit. And, and I don't know exactly how that works, but I think he's giving us two more uh, levels, and he's identifying one as uh, operating particularly uh, in a spiritual way, and one operating in particularly a manifest way in the world. It's, just, it's what it occurs to me. So there's four levels of them. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, or world forces of darkness, and hosts of wickedness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, and in the heavens, the second heavens is the idea. And so this is where our, our warfare, this is where our fight takes place. Now here's what I want to say. What I realize is this. We've probably had a decent amount of teaching uh, along these lines where we've talked about demons and principalities and People hear this, but what I realize is most believers don't have, any, I mean, almost no practical experience in dealing with demons. Uh, I mean, most believers haven't ever um, dealt with a person that's got a, a demon manifestation going on, for instance, like a full-on controlling manifestation. I wouldn't give myself, uh, you know, like the, the big gold star of, of dealing with deliverance, but I've probably been in, I don't know, 25 to 30 situations where uh, I'm dealing with a person and I'm, now I'm not dealing with that person. I'm dealing with a, a demon that's in a controlling manifestation and is talking to me through the person. Probably been in that situation 25, 30 times, maybe more. I, you know, you don't, it's not like I'm keeping notches for a belt. But, uh, you know, I remember I had all sorts of ideas about how to deal with demons until I was actually having to deal with one. You know, it's like, man, if a demon ever shows up to me, I'm just going you know, to take out my sword of the spirit. I'm just going to get that demon. You know, it's easy to say that. And then when you see somebody look at you and their eyes are rolled back in their head and they're talking to you in about three or four voices and they know information about you that they shouldn't, all of a sudden you're like, 
What just happened in here? I'll just give you one. I mean, the first time that I, I, I'd been in a, a, a deliverance session, um, and, 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 but I wasn't the main guy in the session. I was just sort of like the prayer guy, like on the side, like, you know, like, dear God, praying over, over this person who's getting delivered. And actually, first time I've ever seen demons manifest in a person. So I had that experience, and then I remember I was, as a youth pastor, it was like uh, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, and uh, probably about, yeah, probably more than that, 13, 14 years ago. And um, in a service, I remember feeling this demonic oppression, and I just said, you know, devil, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And this girl began to manifest. And um, she was uh, just a little girl, went to local high school, and she was manifesting full-on, a, a full-on controlling demon manifestation right there in the middle of my youth group. I'm thinking, man, I, you know, this is wild. I, we're not in, we're in Norcross. We're not in some other country. And, um, and I remember that night getting beaten up not physically, but in the spirit, by this demon that had control of this, this little girl. And I remember rebuking that demon, and I, I remember yelling at that demon, saying, in Jesus' name, come out. Come out in Jesus' name. Come out. And I remember the devil looked at me and went, come out in Jesus' name. Come out in Jesus' name. Come out in Jesus' name. Started mocking me. I went, oh, man, this is bad. This is bad. If the devil is saying to me, come out in Jesus' name, that's probably a good sign you're not doing well in the deliverance. And uh, four hours later, something like that, it's like 2 a.m., finally the demon kind of releases her, and she comes back too. And, and I remember her, her dad shows up, and I'm trying to explain to her dad, like, we've been doing prayer. Like, I mean, what do you say? You know, he wasn't a believer. Like, we've been trying to minister to her till 2 a.m., sir, you know, I mean, and uh, I remember just going home with so many questions. Well, a month later, uh, same little girl, we kept in contact with her, same little girl in the youth service, a month later, boom, same thing happens. She begins to manifest the spirit, and, uh, and the Lord began to teach me. He said, listen, you have to believe what you're saying. You can't just Go through the formula, shout at devils, da-da-da-da-da, act like you're somebody that's got authority and don't believe what you say. So I remember the same kind of thing where after the service, we're talking to this young girl, and she is in a full-on controlling manifestation. Her eyes are rolled back in her head. She's growling. And, uh, and I remember the Lord said, speak the word and say it once. You don't have to yell. Just speak the word and say it once. And I remember I said to her, I said, in Jesus' name, and I was speaking to the demon. I said, in Jesus' name, roll her eyes back normal in her head. And I sat there for a moment. And the girl sat there with her eyes still rolled up in her head. And I thought, well, the name of Jesus is the name above every name. Isn't that correct? And I opened the Bible to Philippians 2, and I read that. I said to the guy with me, I said, that's what the Bible says, isn't it? And he goes, that's what it says. I go, then that has to be true. And so therefore, that word that I just spoke to her has to work. I said, and we'll sit here and wait until it does. And about that time, boom, her eyes flipped right back normal in her head. And her head was pinned down like this. I said, you put her head back up normal, straight. Same thing happened. No immediate response. You know, when you give a command like that and you go like five seconds and nothing happens, that's a long time. Seems like forever. Because at that point you go, wow, it didn't work. And I looked at the guy who was with me. I said, you know what? The Bible's true, isn't it? He goes, it is. I go, well, then that has to work. The name of Jesus has to be the name above every name, doesn't it? He goes, that's right. I go, then what I just said has to work, doesn't it? He goes, it does. I go, well, we'll wait until it does. Boom, her head pops up. About 20, 25 seconds, 30 seconds later. This little girl had been in this controlling manifestation. It took us about five minutes to get it back where she was in front. The demon was no longer controlling her. And we were able to, to displace that demon and get that demon out of her within just a matter of a few minutes. And what it was was simply this. It wasn't all these exercises, you know, and all this shouting and all this wild, you know, muscling up in the flesh. It was simply believing that the word works, 
speaking the word and not backing down from it. It was that simple. And, uh, and I want to tell you, if you're ever in a situation where there's a demon manifestation, it doesn't have to be this big wrestling match. You can simply speak the word and allow the word to work in faith, and it will work. And, uh, and so uh, with that sort of just as the background, I want to kind of walk through some of the scriptural truths, some of the things the Bible says about principalities, about powers, about hosts of wickedness, demons. And um, let's just get a biblical lens. I think we've got a lot out there about uh, demon influence and, and uh, deliverance. It's based on experience. I think it would be good to get our mentalities of how to do warfare based on the Bible. Amen. All right. So I want to give you just a few scriptural truths. You can just hold your spot there and take notes. They'll throw these verses up. Uh, but uh, several spiritual truths, scriptural truths regarding uh, principalities and powers. Firstly, number one, Jesus created them. It's what the Bible says. He created them. Now, I don't believe that he created them as demons. I believe he created them uh, as part of the heavenly hosts. But Colossians 1, verse 16, it says this, By him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I'll tell you what, get that truth under your belt when it comes to dealing with demons. They are created. They are not all-powerful. They are not uncreated. They, they do not have omnipotence, omniscience. They are a created entity. Jesus created them. They don't have anywhere near the authority that he has. In a certain way, they're just like the Energizer Bunny. They're running on borrowed power. They have a battery that's from the Lord that's caused them to actually even have life. So just as he created everything else, Demon powers, including the highest princes, including Satan himself, they are created foes. Jesus is the creator. Do you know how much of a, uh, I mean, a massive gap is there is between the one who is the creator and his creation? So extensive, he says, I have to humble myself to even look at my creation. It's infinite, the gap. All right, number two. Jesus is the head of all of them. That's what the Bible tells us. In Colossians again, chapter two, verse nine. It says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead uh, is bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. And that simply means this. The devil can do nothing outside of the sovereign authority and leadership of the man Christ Jesus. The devil cannot do anything outside of Jesus' authority. He is over them. He has created them. They are subject to Jesus. It's important to understand, when you begin to get some of these truths in you, you won't be intimidated by demon power, I promise you. You won't be scared of the dark, or whatever it is that we're scared of when it comes to demon power, you'll understand that God has all authority over them and they are created by him. They, they're not, not as demons, as angelic hosts, I believe, but uh, he has the authority over them. Thirdly, Jesus disarmed them. Again, to the Colossians. Now here's the thing. He's talking to the Colossians about angels and demons primarily because in Colossae, one of the big uh, cults was the worship of angels. They were focused on worshiping angelic and demonic entities uh, in that city. And so he's giving us a lot of spiritual, a lot of information on spiritual warfare in the book of Colossians. And he mentions them again. And he says in uh, same chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, regarding his victory on the cross, he says, having disarmed them, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. This is a powerful verse. Powerful verse. That word disarmed is also translated 
having put off, having put them off. And I love the idea. The idea is this. In the cross, the enemy and the host of darkness attack the Lord Jesus. In the garden, where all the sin of the world was placed upon him, and in that moment, the hordes of darkness come and they attack Jesus. And that's what this is actually saying. And he put them off. In other words, he took them and resisted them and and defeated them. They attack him directly, and in that moment, he actually puts them off and fully defeats them. As As a man who is fully God, he disarmed them, he defeated them, and then what it says is this, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. That public spectacle, it talks about, it's, it's, it's actually this. He led them in victory. And it's talking about this. The ancient procession that kings would do when they would uh, triumph over, over an opposing king in, in, in war is they would come back and they would, they, the king would be at the head of the army leading his armies. And, and right there in tow, they'd have the opposing king that they just defeated. And they would parade them in the victory march of the, of the victorious army. They'd parade the opposing king and they'd make a spectacle of that king uh, in the victory that they had over him. So when this says Jesus put them off, he's talking about he rejected them, he resisted them, and dis- uh, disarmed them, he, he triumphed over them, and then he led them in a, in a victory procession, I believe, through the, the spiritual ranks, through the, 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 the ranks of the angelics, and he, and he led the, the, the demonic uh, captain, Satan, he, he led him, and he showed him off as defeated in front of the angelic ranks. How exactly that happened, I'm not sure, but he did it. He displayed him as defeated. Beloved, the devil is disarmed. He is defeated. And I think there's an inappropriate way that people have dealt with this verse. And they say, he's totally disarmed. He has no weapons. I think that's not true. If he has no weapons, then how does he hold so much of the world under his sway? It's not exactly the right application. The application is this. Jesus won a victory in the cross that was decisive, it was definitive, and he he defeated the devil once and for all. He displayed him as completely defeated, and we have that victory that we are a part of. We are under that victory, the victory that Jesus won. So the devil is defeated by the Lord Jesus. He is defeated right now by the Lord Jesus. And when we are dealing with uh, demons, principalities, They are defeated. They've been created. Jesus is the head of all of them. He's he's above all all of them. And he he has defeated all of them. These are important truths. Not things we should handle flippantly, but things we need to get down in our heart. Because if you can get them down in your heart, you will operate differently as it relates to dealing with uh, demon, demon power and people that are demonized. Fourth. Ephesians 1 says that Jesus is now enthroned far above them. It says, Ephesians 1 verse 20, which he worked in Christ, talking about the exceeding greatness of his power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power. Well, we understand that Jesus is exalted above every principality and every power. You know what? In a certain way, you could just say this. It doesn't matter which prince is ruling in your region. Jesus is ruling over that prince. He's been exalted to the right hand of God. And you know what's better than that? Or not better than that, but what's just great about that is that you and I are seated in heavenly places with Christ. We have been exalted in the Spirit to those heavenly places where Christ is seated, enthroned. He's enthroned above all principality and power. I say this. Hear me. Every demon prince that's ruling in the affairs of man on the earth is susceptible to being overthrown in this age by the church who would be in agreement with that man that's been exalted to the right hand of God. 
If the church will get in agreement with that man that's enthroned above all principality and power, every demon power in the earth right now is susceptible to that authority if the church will get into agreement with, with Jesus. That we make such a big deal about the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. And I tell you, Jesus has been enthroned above every devil. And you and I have been seated with Jesus in heavenly places. There's authority. What I'm trying to say is this. There's authority available to us that we have not yet begun to scratch the surface of that authority. And I tell you, though, when we do, principalities and powers will fall over our cities and over our regions. And I'm telling you, this thing is going to culminate in Revelation 12. It's going to culminate with Satan himself and every demon principality being dethroned from the heavenly realm. That's what's coming. Guess what? The church is going to understand what it means to operate in biblical spiritual warfare unto the full dethroning of every principality and power that's exalted in the heavenly realms. Not just once in localized areas, but culminating with Satan himself completely thrown from the heavenlies. Beloved, this is our path. This is our portion. This is what we get to do. Come on, this is fun. (laughs) this, This is cool stuff. Fifthly, and this is such a cornerstone, radical, important, a foundational key you've got to know. Fifthly, no demon can separate you from the love of God. No demon can separate you from God's affections, from God's emotions, from his delight in you. Romans 8.38, I love it. It says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, I tell you, the foundational cornerstone truth of spiritual warfare is understanding the love of God. For in that, you have might in your inner man. In understanding God's affections and delights for you, you understand you've already won everything. Have the affection of the one who is love itself. That is the ultimate victory. So if we are locked in to Jesus and his love is our portion, the devil, he can try anything, but he can't touch that. If our most precious possession is the love of God and flowing back and forth in love with him, it doesn't matter what the devil does because we have love. We're flowing in love. And I'll tell you, in the times when my mind has been barraged the worst with uh, demonic thoughts and demonic attack, the, the truth that brings me up out of it is God loves me. That's the one that causes me to see, to get up above the clouds. You ever been in that spot when your brain is getting just attacked and so many nasty thoughts are in there and you can't see straight? And it's just like you're in the clouds. You can't quite see. It's hard to, to, to calibrate. You, don't, you can't find your compass. You know, where do we go? And it's just it's confusing here. And I tell you, it's, it's amazing to me because you can be in that state and then truth will come and boom, all of a sudden you're above the clouds. Your perspective changes. You see things more clearly. Sometimes the the circumstance, I mean, most of the time it's this. The circumstances stay exactly the same. But you get above the clouds and all of a sudden you can see again. And truth and revelation and the knowledge of God's love for you, it creates might in your inner man and courage begins to form. And you begin to say yes to God and no to the devil. And victory is yours in those moments. It's amazing to me that the shift that will happen internally, and that's where the victory is won. 99% of the time when it comes to you and I fighting with demon power, the, the victory is won internally through the revelation of truth. And, and it's, it's the cornerstone is understanding God's lavish delight for us. His kindness. Ah, his happiness. I was eating that donut this morning. And I was thinking, Lord, you created my taste buds. 
is you like me. You like me to love how my, how my mouth feels when I'm tasting something so beautiful as a donut. I know that's silly for you, but I'm like, I'm like having a spiritual moment. I'm like, oh, because he, he gave us eyes to see with color and perception and taste buds to taste and smells and aromas and touch and feel and emotions. Who can create a soul? I mean, that, that I could feel wonderful feelings and rough feelings, but I could flow back and forth. And this, this mosaic, this dramatic mosaic of, of, of experience that God gave me life, I'm in love with God. And I tell you, man, that produces an iron rod on the inside of me to, to, to be courageous against that which would oppose. Oh, beloved. No demon can separate you from that. Can't separate you from his love. There's nothing better than that. All right, let's move on. So I want to just kind of just give you some thoughts on dealing with demons. Now, basically, three, three different ways that we deal with demons. Number one is we deal with demons that come against us personally. Second, we deal with demons that manifest in someone else. And then third, we deal with demons who are disembodied and rule uh, over regions and areas. And I just want to give a little bit on how we deal with each of those because it's a little different. Principles uh, are similar and they apply, but uh, it's different. Dealing with demons that uh, come against us. Now, I think we kind of get this. But, you know, you understand it when you're not being attacked, but it's when you're being attacked that you need to understand it. You know what I'm saying? When your mind's clear, you're like, praise God, I got the victory. Da-da! And then you get, you know, attack in your head. You're like, dear God, I'm going under. When you get attacked, we understand this, but it comes in thoughts, in your mind. That's the primary way a demon attacks believers. He tries to get in your head. And the key thing he's trying to do is to get you to believe things that are not true about God. Every attack of the enemy against you, listen, every gun that the devil has against you is to try to get you to believe things that are false about God. And that's why Paul described it in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, 4, and 5, the way he did. He said, our weapons are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down thoughts and imaginations that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. And they're exalting themselves above the knowledge of God in the minds of men. Beloved, it's no different with you and I. When the devil tries to attack, he tries to attack us in our minds. And where the devil has been able to get entrance in our mind, where he's been able to bring depression, oppression, uh, cause us to, to enter into sin, I promise you, it's because he's gained a little foothold, a little opening in our mind where we believed a lie about the knowledge of God. And here's what he's trying to do. He wants us to disagree with truth and agree with lies. And if we, agree, if we don't agree with truth and we agree with lies, what we've done is we've gotten ourselves out of agreement with God and into agreement with the enemy. And if he can get us into agreement with him, guess what? He's got access in that area in which we've given him agreement. Let me say that again. He tries to get us out of agreement with God and into agreement with him. He'll use it in all sorts of areas. Wherever, whatever area he can get us into, uh, disagreement with God and agreement with him, he has access in our life, in that area, to, to manifest through us and in our minds and, and draw us and, 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 and intensify the attack and temptation in us where we believe lies. Beloved, in a certain way, all repentance really is, is disagreeing with darkness and agreeing with truth. In a certain way, that's all repentance really is. You say, I don't agree with this mentality, this thought, this action, and I agree with God. We've made repentance this thing where you got to like get pierced and weeping and broken. And I love when that happens to me, and so I'm not against that. But really, repentance is disagreement with darkness, disagreement with lies, 
disagreement with accusations. And then the idea is to displace the lie with truth. And believers, come on believers, we are the best at this. We agree with truth, but we don't walk truth out. We amen truth, but we don't believe truth. Hello. We say yes when the guy's talking truth, but we think different stuff in our brain, and that's why we act stupid sometimes. Amen. It's true. I promise you, I would never get in a fight with my wife if I didn't believe something dumb in here. If I was totally given to meekness, totally given to humility, totally given to love, guess what? There'd be no way I could get in a fight. But the very idea that I get in a disagreement, I get in a fight, and I get you know, an attitude, whatever, that's proof that there is agreement in my heart and in my mind with stuff that's not true. It might be my own, you know, I might have a uh, belief in my own uh, uh, pride or, or my own ability or, or whatever it is, anger. Whatever the area is where I'm in agreement with darkness, that has got to go. I've got to come out of agreement with darkness, come into agreement with God. That's repentance. Repentance is like crazy spiritual warfare. Saying no to darkness and yes to Jesus. So we displace the lie with truth. And it's, it's a truth about the knowledge of God. That's so key. I'll tell you, when I was, when I was a new believer, I would, I would daily uh, quote 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5. I would have thoughts coming against my mind, and I would cast those thoughts down. I'd just speak right to the thought. I'd say, no thought, in Jesus' name, I cast you down. I won't believe you. And that had, a, that had powerful effects on me as a new believer. I mean, I had so many, I, I, I had sinned so much, I had opened so many doors to sin in my life that I had all these open thoroughfares and the devil was coming and tempting me and talking to me about all sorts of junk. And when I would hear temptation or a lie or a thought or lust or, or anger, what, pride, those things that come in my brain, I would just, I would be just, I cast that down in the name of the Lord Jesus. I cast that down in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now that sounds a little schizophrenic, but I mean, it worked great things in me because I, I was able to get my mind back under control. You know what I found? You know what sin does? Through sin and, and, and living outside of the Lord Jesus, you know what you essentially do? You give your mind over to the devil. And then he can operate through you and manifest in sin. So when you get saved, you got to get your mind back. In a certain way, you lost your mind. you got to get it back. And I walked around, and some days I would quote that verse a hundred times. Now, to be quite honest with you, I think it's a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to say it's a stretch, but it's a little bit beyond exactly what Paul is saying in the context. He's not actually telling believers to walk around casting thoughts down, though it works. I can testify. What he's actually talking about is displacing wrong thoughts with truth, which is even a step better. It's identifying the lie. What do I believe about God that's not true? And filling that thing with truth. So when light comes, darkness goes, the stronghold is broken in your mind. It's like this. You have an orphan mentality, perhaps. Perhaps you've, you've lived your whole life, and you haven't, you haven't had the affection of a, of a male figure, a father figure. And so you've got a, an orphan mentality, and your orphan mentality says that God doesn't love you, and God's not going to provide for you. Well, what do you do? Rather than just casting that thought down, you still have, you know, 35 years of empirical evidence that tells you you're unloved by a father figure. What you have to do is this. Open the Bible and begin to nail your mind with truth to displace those dark areas in your brain, those strongholds that have been erected. And so 35 years of, of living with, with uh, orphan experiences, let's just say it that way, will give you an orphan mentality. Lies will be erected in your mind about, about who God is, about his delight in you, about his enjoyment of you, about his provision for you. You know why so many people give themselves to lust in this age and they just, they just consume themselves with everything they can get right now? It's because they don't believe in a greater and abiding inheritance because they believe they're orphans. They don't believe they've got a good God that's laying up an inheritance and reward for them in the next age. So they gorge themselves on any possible pleasure they can get right now. Moses resisted right now knowing it was better 
to suffer reproach with the people of Christ. Why? Because he had an abiding city that he was going to. But if you have an, if you have an orphan mentality, you don't believe in the inheritance. Because orphans don't have inheritances. And so, you displace the orphan mentality with truth. You fill your mind with the way God feels about you. The way that God thinks about you. And all of a sudden, you find this. You can say things like, he likes me. And your heart doesn't say, er. Your heart goes, yeah. Come on, you ever got the Bible, got the truth out there and started saying, as the Father loves me, I love you, abide my love. You go, yeah, John 15, 9. As the Father loves me, as the Father loves Jesus, you love me, Jesus. And on the inside, you go, ugh, that can't be true. Like, you're, you're not trying to, but your heart's going, it doesn't seem right. What is that? That's those dark areas in your mind that have been taken over by lies. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta drive those dark areas out with truth. Truth, it, man, it liberates. You shall know the truth and it'll set you free. Lies, they bind and they blind, but truth sets free. Man, I didn't ever, I just don't even know what I was doing in Christ until I found out he liked me. Oh, man, it set me free. I was like, gosh, it is, this is awesome. Serving Jesus is awesome. I was glad I wasn't going to hell, but man, the guy likes me. The Lord likes me. He likes me. Yeah! What happened? The strongholds fell. My mind got flooded with light. Truth came. Beloved, that's the primary way the the devil attacks us, and that's the primary way we've got to deal with those attacks. We resist him. How do we resist? We resist him through truth in our minds. And you know what? When you put truth in and you resist lies, the Bible says the devil get it. He runs away. Now, how cool is that? He runs away. Oh, yeah. He can't deal with truth resident in the mind of people. He's no in, no way to get in. He just runs away. He flees. Amen. All right, secondly, you guys okay? All right, I'm going to keep going. Spiritual warfare, this is it. This is simple stuff, but this is it, man. He didn't make spiritual warfare hard. It's pretty simple stuff. It's intense, but it's, it's for the simple. That's why I get it. Praise God. Dealing with demons that manifest in another person. I think this is the area where we're the most weird. You know, we get the bag out. The guy throws up. Praise God, he's delivered. Give me the verse. Like, please. We just got some weird stuff on this. I'm not saying a guy couldn't throw up and be delivered. I mean, yeah, that can happen. But I've been in more deliverance sessions where they're throwing up, and that's not deliverance. I've been in one where the girl threw up like 30 times. Gigantic mouthfuls of spit. Like, how did that even come out of that person? Impossible. She wasn't delivered after 30 of them, I promise you. It was worse throwing up or whatever. You know, we got these little side superstitions, beloved. They're superstitions. And they're not rooted in truth, and so they're dumb. They don't, they don't work. Now, I'm not saying a guy couldn't throw up and get delivered. Praise God, that happens. But uh, let's just take one example of Jesus dealing with a, a little boy who's demonized. Uh, Mark 9. Go ahead and turn over there. Let's read through it together. Jesus identified several different kinds of spirits. Deaf and dumb, he called them. Called a spirit of infirmity. I think that's one that we need to take a look at real hard. That there are spirits that cause people to be sick. There are spirits that cause people to be deaf. A couple times Jesus cast demons out of people that were mute and they could speak. Cast uh, demons out of people that were crazy and they became sane. Beloved, what if we really got a biblical uh, paradigm of deliverance and, and started clearing out like some, you know, mental wards and stuff? I believe it's possible. I believe we just got to step into something that we haven't stepped into yet. Spirit of divination. There's a bunch of different kind that he mentions in the New Testament. And my goal isn't to say, here's all the different demon spirits. It's probably a bunch of different kinds. That's not so much the point. Mark 9, 
One of the crowd, I'm in verse 17. One of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I've seen all of that. I've, phys- I've physically encountered those demon manifestations in people on actually multiple occasions. So I spoke to your disciples. This man, he, he says, I, I, I try to get your disciples, to, to my son, look at him. And they could not cast it, uh, that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered him and he said, sometimes Jesus just cracks me up. He's oh faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. He's going like, guys, it's like what Jesus is saying, he goes, Guys, we have so been over this. Like, we got to go, okay, we already did that. Remember that? Demon 101, we already did that back then. How long we got to go over these things? Come on, guys. Where's your faith? Come on, devils, let's go cast them out. That's where he's at. It sounds so tough, and I think he is a little bit like, come on, man. Pete, James, John, we've been doing this a while. Let's go. Then they they brought him to him, and when he saw him, Immediately, the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him into, both into fire and into the water. This young man would go into these convulsions, and the demon would try to destroy the young man, to throw him into, like maybe there'd be a campfire, throw him into the fire. Little, can you imagine being the father? Now think about this for a minute. You're the dad. Your son regularly has demon, uh, like epileptic fits. And when it happens to him, it throws him into like a fire or throws him into like a pool to try to destroy your, your baby. Why do you think Jesus is asking him about the boy? Why do you think he's going, hey, how long has this been happening? Because he cares. He's exhibiting compassion. He's going, now, tell me your story. What's been going on with him? How long has this been happening? The father goes, yeah, it's been happening ever since he was little. This is how it goes. It's, it's rough. Jesus is, is touching the issue. He's being moved with compassion. Do you see it? So many times we see a demon manifesting in a person, and we're like, praise God, I'll cast it out. Come out of him. I mean, it's not how Jesus does. The demon manifestation is happening, and Jesus is cool. He goes, talk to me for a minute, man. What's what's the story here? The boy is manifesting. Notice Jesus isn't freaking out. He goes, now, how long? What's happening? Sometimes he throws him in the fire and into the water to destroy him. He goes, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. What a loaded, Jesus, if you can do anything, creator of the universe, if you can do anything. Jesus is like, come on, man. If, if he goes, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, with tears, Lord, I believe. He's crying now. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He goes, you know that this is an issue of my faith. He goes, I want to believe. That's what he's saying. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, it doesn't say he shouted, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became his one as dead, so that many said he is dead. And you can imagine the crowd going, oh my gosh, the kid just died. <gasps> and look what Jesus does. But Jesus took him by the hand. Jesus gets down there with the little boy, takes him by the hand, and lifts him up. And he arose. When he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately the question that I would have asked, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind doesn't come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And in, in, uh, in, in Mark 17, uh, Matthew 17, 
Where it has the parallel, he says, because of your unbelief. Straight up, he just says, because you didn't believe. Now, guess what? Were they not trying to cast the demon out? They were, right? He said, I brought them to your disciples, but they couldn't do it, could they? So they went through the motions of it, didn't they? And undoubtedly, they're going, come out of him in Jesus' name, right? But instead, what? The demon didn't come out, did it? What was going on with them? They were muscling it up in the flesh and not operating in simple faith. Hello, that's rooted and driven by love. Faith works by love. When you're dealing with a demon manifestation in a person, it's so freaky. I tell you, the demon will act, act up and manifest to the person in such strange ways, foaming, convulsing, rigid, all this weird stuff. All that is is to try to get you to engage after the flesh and not stay rooted in love and focused on Jesus and ministering in compassion by faith. I remember one time I was in Mexico. This woman, we found out later, she had been offered as a child in a satanic ritual. This woman, she didn't even speak Spanish, just barely broken Spanish. She spoke an Indian dialect. They had her at this ministry, and they'd been working with her and trying to get her to, uh, to get delivered. And this woman began to speak to us in English. She began to say this to us. She was saying her name. Her name was Hema. And, and the demon was saying this. Hema is mine. Hema is mine. Hema's crazy. Hema's crazy. You can't have Hema. Hema is mine. All of that. Is the devil trying to get us to believe in its authority? But you know what? Jesus disarmed them. He put them off. And I tell you, in that situation, that we, we were, I was young in deliverance, and, and we finally got the, the little lady back in front where she wasn't in this controlling manifestation. But it was so, I mean, it just spooked me out. I mean, the little lady couldn't speak English. She didn't speak any English. The demon speaking to us through her in English. That'll make your hair stand up. That was funky. What I came to realize after that, demon manifestations, you know what they're too? They're trying to get you to do? They're trying to intimidate you. They're trying to get you not to believe. Jesus said this to the disciples, and I think if the disciples could fall into it, you and I are probably susceptible. He goes, the reason why you guys couldn't get it out, he goes, number one, you're in unbelief. Yeah, you're going through the motions, but you don't believe this is gonna work. Number two, he goes, prayer and fasting, (laughs) Guys, this whole thing I've been doing, prayer and fasting with you, you actually have to do it because it brings you into greater levels of authority when it comes to deliverance. He wasn't telling them to go like skip a meal right then. He's telling them to live a lifestyle of prayer and fasting to put them in a place where they're spiritually minded so that when it came time to encounter a demon manifesting through a person, they could just deal with it in faith. The point I want to really just bring out, and I'm not going deep into demon deliverance, but Jesus' compassion in dealing with the demonized. Beloved, that is so key. Love manifest to a demon, demonized person. I tell you, it is so powerful. It is so powerful. And that's where the Lord would have us to live, is in that place of compassionate love for people. All right, finally this. I know it's a little long, but let's just hang in there. Last point. How do we deal with demons that are disembodied in our cities? Disembodied demons that rule over cities. We take Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3, and we see those as the template. In fact, we take the whole New Testament. We see it as the template. Paul, who is one of the most powerful uh, spiritual warfare guys in, in the whole Bible, you never see him address demons that are disembodied. Now, in the Scripture, we directly de- address demons that are in people, but we don't see any examples in the Bible of addressing disembodied spirits, spirits that are reigning over cities. But what we do see is we see this, this pathway that, that Paul gives to the Ephesians believers. And I want to give that to you and then we'll land. The first thing Paul does is he prays for the church that they'd have light and revelation. What's he doing? He's asking them to get understanding and the knowledge of God. Why? That strongholds would be displaced in their own minds. So Ephesians 1, it's light and revelation to come on the minds of believers. In Ephesians 3, it's a revelation of love that might in their inner man would, would, would be resident, that would be strengthened through the revelation of love. And then thirdly, it's light to the mind 
might in the inner man through the revelation of love. And then thirdly, righteous actions. Beloved, please hear this point. If we want to displace principalities over our cities, walking and living in righteousness is such a massive key component to tearing down princes that rule in the atmosphere over our cities. When the kingdom will come in the hearts of believers, it will manifest in power in the society in which they live. But when believers don't live the values of the kingdom daily, they, and they live the values of the kingdom of darkness, they empower those princes to reign in those areas. That's massive. And that's why Paul called the believers in Ephesus to live the cross, to walk in righteousness. So important. And we almost totally neglect that truth when it comes to spiritual warfare. Now, when I'm talking about praying for light and praying for the revelation of love, I'm also including in that worship and praise. Worship and praise proclamations. And then finally, fourth, I'm landing, is prophetic proclamation of truth. And we've talked about this already. But there is no telling how much happens in the Spirit when believers will proclaim truth in a city that will cause the strongholds in men's minds to be shifted and displace darkness and, 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 and that controls people in their actions. There's no telling what happens when prophetic proclamation of truth goes forth to displace and dispel demon authority in an area. And I feel like looking at this example of Charlotte with Dr. Brown and his five years of proclaiming truth right into the homosexual agenda in that city and just going there this weekend and finding there's like no teeth in that movement in that city. It's like it's been just really like muted and I think massively a major part of it is the prophetic proclamations of truth. And so it's prayer for the church. We pray for light. We pray for love. We live righteously. And we proclaim truth. And I believe, beloved, when, when believers engage in that way in a city, the, the principalities that reign in those cities they are susceptible because believers have gotten into agreement with the man that sits at the right hand of God. They've gotten into, into agreement with him on manifesting the power and the authority that he has over those demons that rule over those cities and, and unto a manifestation of the kingdoms in, in those places. Good, amen. Let's go ahead and stand. This is how we want to live. This is the way we want to live. Giving ourselves to these things. Some say, well, I remember this story about the guys and they all got together and they rebuked the demon of whatever over the city of whatever and they had massive breakthrough. Do you believe in that? I believe in that um, not as the norm. I believe in that as the one-off specific prophetic thing where the Lord identifies to uh, those that are uh, in authority in a city the key leaders that are in authority in the city that says, get together, pray and fast when the Lord makes it clear and address those ruling princes and, to, and tell them to be displaced. I believe in it in that kind of a context, but I don't believe in it as the norm for believers all over the place. I think we get outside of the way God has given us to operate in the New Testament when we think to do that. I think that's kind of a uh, a one-off by the Spirit kind of a thing for those that have governmental authority in a city. So I believe it can be effectual. I believe in it, but I believe in it in a very limited uh, practice and a very limited uh, amount of experience. I, I think it's a, a minor part of it. I think the major part of it is believers in prayer, praying for revelation, praying for light, living out the cross, proclaiming prophetic truth into the atmosphere and to one another. I think that is what weakens the heavens so that those that are in government, governmental authority in the city, if the Lord would lead, could come together and then command those, those princes to be displaced. Amen. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we want to come into agreement with you.
My prayer, God, for us and this company here at IHOP is that we would come out of agreement with darkness. We'd come into agreement with light. God, we'd come out of agreement with lies that we believed. We'd come into agreement with truth about the knowledge of God. God, we want to wage war. We want to fight a good fight according to the biblical model in meekness, rooted in love, God. Humbly, strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Come, Holy Spirit. Instruct us and encourage us. Let us see that as we choose daily to live righteousness, to live righteously, as we choose daily to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, we're doing dramatic spiritual warfare, God. God, forgive us for where we have, through our actions, empowered demon forces by being in agreement with them rather than in agreement with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.